0: I was meeting with a group of pastors uh, this week, and we were uh, consumed with conversation uh, before the formalities started about how do we get to a place in the world like we're at today, where the devaluation of human life is uh, just incomprehensible. The things that are going on uh, clearly in the Middle East, and even the response by some people here in our own country. Uh, to that is extremely troubling, and the question we were wrestling with is: How do we get here? How do we get to the place where our world is today? Well, interestingly, in our series here, as we're going through the fir- early chapters of Genesis, we're trying to help ourselves understand how we got from creation to where we're at today. Now, we're not going to cover the whole Bible and figure out all the things that happen between now and then. But I believe in those first 11 chapters of Genesis, it actually lays the foundation for what we see around our world today. And we've been unpacking that. If you've been doing the quiet time, you can see that even in the genealogies and where people are landing and things, you can see everything being set up to look exactly like the things that we're experiencing today. If you've missed any of the messages so far in the series, this is the second to last one. Pastor Justin's going to finish the series for us next week. But if you've missed any of this... Go online, go to our YouTube channel, go to our website, download the app. If you haven't downloaded the app, you need to download the app because it's a way you're going to stay informed. And if we let us notify you, we will bug you to no end with that app. Actually, we won't do that. We'll be very polite and only communicate as needed and as we think there's important things that you need to know. Uh, but make sure you get onto those uh, uh, medias so that you can stay up to date. Today, as we pick up the conversation About Genesis and how it all got started. I want us to consider how God intended us to live life in a post-flood world. Essentially, we're going to answer the question, how can we live life as God intended? Anybody need the answer for that? Yeah, A a few of us do. A few of us are still trying to work it out. In fact, in our mission statement as a church, we started out our mission statement by saying, striving to be. That wasn't a part of the original draft, but we said, you know what? We're not always going to be everything else we're saying we want to be, so we're striving to be. We're trying to get it right. How can I live life as God intended? So we're going to start looking at Noah in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. It says this. This is right after the flood, right after they've left the ark. If you missed all that, again, go back and listen to those messages. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, And there he sacrificed his burnt offerings, the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. So we see right away Noah leaves the ark, the animals left the ark, and he builds an altar. Which The word altar just means a high place. And at that point in time, I believe it was a mound of dirt, a mound of earth that he could then sacrifice the animals on. Noah's first response to God's deliverance was to worship We need to take note of that because when God delivers us, I don't know about you, but I'll be going through a difficult situation and God makes a way through it and and that happens and everything, and then I'm like, cool, let's get on with life until the next Christ says, hey, God, I need you again. Uh, We need to take time to worship and to praise and to thank God. That's what Noah is doing here. And I think it's a really interesting note that he's sacrificing animals. This is pre-law. This is before God told Moses what animals could be sacrificed and which ones couldn't and which ones they could eat and all of that that stuff. Clearly, God had already let Noah know somehow that what animals could be sacrificed. That's how he took them even into the ark because he took seven pairs of the ones he was going to sacrifice later and on and on. So Noah's worship included sacrifice. Now, today, we don't sacrifice animals. And know for all of you guys that have the smokers in your backyard like, like I do, when we smoke the meat all day long and the, the smoke is going up and everything, that's not the same. And, and, and even if you say grace before you eat it and thank God for it, that's not the same as sacrificing animals to God. Okay, understand that. That's not what, uh, what we do. So how do we express our worship today to God? The Apostle Paul, writing to the people of Rome, said this. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. I love God's word because we see Noah sacrificing animals. And if you read through the Old Testament, that's the way they, they worshiped God. But in the New Testament, it tells us how we can worship God too without having to sacrifice animals. It says, give your body, use your body for his glory and his purposes. Friends, we were made to worship. Or we were made to magnify, to magnify God, to make him bigger, to uh, to praise Him. The totality of your life. That's what it means when it says present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The totality of who you are. It's not just your heart. It's not just your mind. It's not just your soul. It's not just your body. It's all of that. We are giving everything we are. That's every activity that we're involved in. We don't compartmentalize our life and we worship God when we can sing four worship songs on a Sunday and then we go out into life and just do our own thing. No, our work is worship. Our school is worship. Our play is worship. We worship God all the time with everything that we have Our response to God for all that he has done for us is sacrifice, service, surrender. See, essentially what we're doing, we're surrendering our will for his worship. And what's beautiful about it is when we do that, it actually becomes, our will actually becomes to worship him and to surrender you know? So it doesn't even feel like as much of a sacrifice over time because we were built to worship him and we were built to sacrifice, we were built to praise him. It's motivated by all that God has done for us. It says that's the true way to worship or uh, other translations say it's your reasonable service. That's the reasonable thing for you to do. So if we go on and we look at what happened next, after Noah's sacrifices, it says, the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things. The Lord was pleased with his sacrifice. Remember the Romans verse, it says, make your, sacrifice, your bodies a sacrifice And that will be pleasing to the Lord. But what I see here is that when Noah sacrificed, it pleased the Lord, it moved the heart of God. When he saw that worship, he says to himself, he's not saying this to Noah yet, I'm never going to destroy the planet again. I'm never going to destroy humans and all living things again. Based on the fact he was pleased with the worship that he was seeing there. Then we go to Genesis chapter 9, and right away we see, then God blessed Noah and his sons. And he told them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. All the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the fish of the sea will look on you with fear and terror. I have placed them in your power. I have given them to you for food, just as I have given you grain and vegetables. But you must never eat any meat that still has the lifeblood in it. First thing we need to notice is it says, Then God blessed Noah. Blessing comes after sacrifice. And we could do a whole sermon series on that, but blessing comes after sacrifice. So if you're feeling like you are going through a tough time and maybe you're even sacrificing things in life right now, guess what? Blessing comes after sacrifice. Keep that in your mind and in your heart. But fundamentally here, the way we're living our life after the flood, the way we're living our life as God intended, he says to be Fruitful and multiply. We were made to multiply. I love multiplication. I love love it so much that that's one of the key words in our vision is to multiply uh, hope in this place. He's commanding him literally to repopulate the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Have babies. Make more people. That's what he's telling Noah and his sons, to repopulate the earth. And certainly, we need to continue repopulating the earth, but principally, or practically, some of you, I know, would love to repopulate the earth and can't. My heart goes out to you. I cannot tell you how much. But principally, repopulating the earth with believers is multiplying. We are sharing the hope of Jesus with others. When we share Jesus with others, we are multiplying. So we're in a new world now, and mankind has a new relationship with creation. It was different than Adam. Adam was told to be fruitful and multiply, and he was told that he had dominion over the animals. And they lived in a peaceful relationship. Adam didn't run when the tiger came along or the lion came along, and he wasn't afraid the elephants were going to step on him or anything like that or attack him. They had a peaceful relationship. Now, man is literally at the top of the food chain. And it says animals will fear humans because animals are now for food. Okay? That's what it says in Genesis 9. We were in a church uh, 100 years ago. Not really a hundred, you know that, right? That's just a long time ago. And in this church, it's really where I got my ministry uh, beginnings. I was a, a youth pastor, and there was a lady in the church who was very influential, did lots of ladies' Bible studies and things, and she latched onto this thing called the Hallelujah Diet. Anybody ever heard of the Hallelujah Diet about 30 years ago or so? Yep. What it basically taught was that the biblical way to eat was just vegetables. Now, these people were extreme. In fact, they were so extreme that carrots was the main source of, I don't know, life for them at that point. They would eat carrots. They would juice the carrots, you know, make, liquefy them and drink them to the point where they literally were turning orange, okay? Okay? Now, I love the color orange. You know, I, I really do. I used to wear orange all the time until people told me I looked like a road worker, or construction worker, or something like that. Uh, but anyway, I love orange, but there are limits, okay? When people start turning orange, it should be a message to them, hey, you might be overdoing it on the carrots here. But hey, they, the problem, though, with what we affectionately actually called them the carrot cult, the people that were mem- members of that, and uh, but... Effectively, the, the problem with what they were doing was that they were claiming it was the only biblical way to eat. They ignored Genesis chapter 9 where God told Noah, I'm giving you this for food. Okay, Now, understand this was permission to eat meat. It was not a prescription to eat meat. There was a, a prohibition about it. It said, don't eat the meat off of living animals, literally, is what that's saying. You can't have the lifeblood in it. It means that it had to be drained out. There had to be no life left in that animal. But I want you to uh, note this. The permission was not prescriptive. So while if you choose today not to eat meat, well, I so don't understand that choice. I really don't. But I actually respect that you have the freedom to make that choice and that it may be a very healthy way for you to eat and I, I, I won't hate you and I'll try really, really, really hard not to make jokes about you and, and things like that But, but it, because I love you and ultimately that, that's your freedom. So, uh, so yeah, so, but it goes both ways. Don't tell people eating meat is wrong. Genesis 9 says it's not. And if you're a meat eater, don't bag those that don't eat meat, because they do have the freedom to not eat meat. Moving on. In chapter or verse 5 of chapter 9, it says this, I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image, Now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. It's a bookend verse. We see the repopulating the earth theme happening uh, again. And what we're seeing here is that we're made to multiply. So you don't want to go around reducing the number of people on the planet. Okay, by killing people. That's what God is telling Noah here. I want the earth filled with people. Don't let people kill people. This is... The sanctity of life. Animals weren't to kill people. And this is where capital punishment, the death penalty, was instituted. And essentially what was happening here is God is actually instituting human government. While it doesn't explicitly say this, we know that people weren't allowed to just take vengeance themselves, that there had to be a system set up to determine whether that person had taken that life and should die or not. In fact, later on, there were cities of refuge created so that people had a place to go to to escape the vengeance of the family or or whoever uh, wanted to get back at them. If they were accused of killing someone, there were cities of refuge to make sure that it wasn't involuntary or something like that. So that was the establishment of human uh, government so the world wasn't just Chaos. We can talk forever about that. And maybe if we talk about the laws and stuff later on, uh, we, we can in another series. But basically what we're seeing here, post-flood world, how to live life as God intended. We were made to worship. That's seeking and that's serving Jesus. We are made to multiply. That's sharing Jesus. Sound familiar? It's on the wall outside. We were made to be this loving community. And to magnify God, to multiply, help other people magnify God. But how does all that practically work? For the rest of our time today, I want to talk to you about a theme that's through Scripture that is really important to help us understand our relationship with God, how we live in relationship with God. Look at verse 8. It says, Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant, key word there, with you and your descendants. And with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, and every living creature on earth. Yes, I'm confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill a living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Key word there was covenant. A covenant is a binding agreement between two or more parties that uh, where each agrees to uphold specific terms in our modern context we we don't use the word covenant a lot. We would call this a legal contract, a binding contract. The Hebrew word uh, here that's being used here that means covenant, treaty or agreement. it talks about relationships between people, one human and another. they can enter covenants. Uh, the covenant of marriage, you may have heard of uh, is a covenant, uh, but it also refers to God making covenants with people, Him initiating the covenant relationship with people. And while there's disagreement about how many covenants there are in Scripture amongst theologians and everything, they, uh, one thing they all agree on is that they're all significant for us to understand how we relate to God how we live life in relationship with God. So essentially, we are made to live in a covenant relationship with God. That's the bottom line here. Now, that's a lot of words, and that's uh, maybe a concept that might be difficult to understand. So I'm going to unpack some of the covenants for you and and help you understand how we got to where we're at today. All right, so hang with me. You're going to be smart today, okay? You maybe get smarter as we go. I don't know. I don't have that much. Uh, but hey, five key covenants. First of all, we're looking at today, we're looking at what's called the Noahic covenant. And the Noahic covenant was a covenant God made with Noah that he would not uh, flood the earth again, completely destroying all of humanity and all the animals, even if man was still wicked in all their imaginations. We're wicked. we're wicked. This is what is known as an unconditional covenant. It required nothing of Noah and his family. God said, this is on me. I am never going to do this again. The covenant extended to Noah's descendants, which guess what? That's you and me too. Did you know that we're all related? Yeah, look around. Look around. That person you don't like, That person you don't like on your street or in your school or in your workplace, you're actually related to that person. If you take the genealogy back far enough, you're going to find that the whole human race came from Noah's sons, right? Because he told them, repopulate the earth. There was no other people on the planet, okay? So now, cousins and all that stuff, you can figure that out and everything, and the gene pool got diluted as as it went, for sure. Uh, But we're all related, right? We all look alike, right? Can you tell? Okay, so then we move on to the Abrahamic covenant, the next covenant that we find uh, in Scripture. With Abraham, he was a descendant from Noah's sons, right? And God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And the covenant he made with Abraham, he also restated it to Isaac and Jacob, who were sons of Abraham, grandson of Abraham, had two parts. He told Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you lots of descendants and make you a great nation. And the second part is that all the nations of the earth, all the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed because of you. That was the Abrahamic covenant. It's interesting that Judaism, Christianity, and even Islam all go back to Abraham. They all claim Abraham as their first prophet. Now, Abraham agreed to circumcise men in his house in exchange for God making him a great nation. That was a, a, not a condition of the covenant, but Abraham's response to that uh, covenant, and God asked him to do that. In Genesis uh, 17, this uh, covenant unfolds over several chapters. We see that he calls for Abraham to live blameless, a blameless and holy life to receive the blessings of that covenant. So we have the Noahic covenant, we have the Abrahamic covenant, and then that leads straight to the Mosaic covenant. Mosaic, that's a guy called Moses, you've heard of him. He led the children of Israel out of Egypt. So Abraham's people, the nation of Israel, had been uh, uh, taken captive in Egypt for over 400 years, and then Moses led them out. Moses is leading them through the wilderness, and have you ever heard of a little thing called the Ten Commandments? Okay. That was God's covenant. Okay, He gave Moses the Ten Commandments and 600 and something other rules to follow. And he said, hey, as long as Israel obeys all this, then I will take care of them and I will make them great and I'll, I'll preserve them. That was a conditional covenant. It was conditional on their obedience. Now, we all know that they failed many, many times. So even though his covenant said, if you do this, then I'll do this, we still see God being gracious in his covenant, in his conditional covenant there with Moses. The covenant was an agreement that God would lead the Jewish people to the promised land and give them the promised land. And the Mosaic covenant guaranteed the preservation of Israel, which leads to the next covenant that we're gonna talk about is the Davidic covenant because the Davidic covenant ensured that there would always be a descendant of David on the throne in Israel. There would be an eternal kingdom set up. That's the Davidic covenant. One of David's offspring would always be on the throne and that prepares the way for the final covenant which we're gonna talk about in a few minutes. But I wanna circle back to the Noahic covenant for just a, a couple more minutes. Because as we look at the Noahic covenant, it is remarkable for a few reasons. One, because of its breadth. It embraced every living creature. It wasn't just God and man. It was every living creature. Every living creature has the promise that God's not going to destroy the earth with flood anymore. It's permanence. So it's breath and it's permanence. It's perpetual. It's everlasting. It's on every generation that follows. And it's generosity. It was so unconditional and it was so undeserved. So it was, oh God, that's what's remarkable about the, uh, the Noahic covenant. God promised unconditionally he would never flood the earth again. No conditions. He simply declared that's what's going to happen. So for Noah and his family, after God said this, the next time it started raining, they didn't have to worry, right? Isn't that a blessing? Can you imagine being Noah and his family without this promise, all right? You've gotten off the boat, you've worshiped God, and you're getting on with the new world, and uh uh-oh, it's starting to rain again. Yeah, yeah, but God said, no, I'm not gonna flood the earth. So when that rain came, no, no, okay, yeah, it's just a shower. It's not gonna last forever. It's not gonna last for 40 days. And then God gave a sign of the covenant, In uh, verse 12, it says, Then God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds. I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. So he establishes this sign with Noah and Noah's unborn generations. And we still see this sign today. He says, I will put my rainbow in the clouds. Now, the word for rainbow is the exact same word that is used for bow like a bow and arrow. There's not two different words. And I don't believe that that's an accident that the same word is used here because the picture here, it's it's a beautiful picture of God's divine power where God had just exercised judgment on the earth, almost like military judgment, using a bow, if you will, the flood being the bow. The picture language here is, I'm done using that bow to destroy. I'm hanging that bow in the clouds. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Now it's a symbol for peace. It's a symbol of a promise I'm not going to do that again, that my bow is no longer an instrument of war. It is now transformed into a picture of my grace and faithfulness, a guarantee of peace. It's interesting also that we read, it says, as God looks at that, he says, when I see it, I will remember. He doesn't say, Noah, when you see it, you will remember. He says, when I see it, I will remember. God is saying, when I look at that, I'm going to remember the promise that I made to you. So we, when we see, I will remember, it's interesting to track two words through chapter 6, all through the flood account from chapter 6 all the way to here. It's this word see and remember. In Genesis chapter 6, the flood story begins with God seeing all of the unrestrained evil in the world. He says, I see that. Then it ends with God seeing the rainbow. And in the middle, we see turning points when God remembers Noah, chapter 8, verse 1. And then we, this reaches a, a climactic point where God says, when I see the rainbow, I will remember my covenant. I just think that's fascinating to trace those two words through those chapters. God seeing the evil, and now he's seeing the rainbow. God remembering Noah and remembering his covenant. Certainly, God doesn't forget his covenants with his people. But this is a way of assuring us that we don't have to be afraid when we see the rainbow. When we look at the rainbow, we know that not only do we see the rainbow, but our Father in heaven, God, the creator of the universe, is looking at that rainbow. Think about that. He's looking at it just as we are. And if we're looking at it with the right filters, we're saying, wow, that's a promise. And God's looking at it and saying, yeah. That's my promise to you. One last covenant. As we consider that we are made to live in covenant relationship with God, the last covenant here is the new covenant. Jeremiah talks about the new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31. And he said that God would establish a new covenant in the future. After the temple was destroyed and Israel was taken into Babylonian exile, they were looking forward to a promise, a new covenant where a Messiah would come who would be a deliverer, who would rescue them from the exile. That's the Old Testament expectation, but it was so much bigger than that. The New Testament declares to us that all of God's covenant promises, the Noaic, the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, the Davidic, are all fulfilled in the new covenant in the new covenant, which is through Jesus. He promised eternal life and a new way of looking at life, a new way of living life even. And it expanded the scope because Israel expected the Messiah was coming to rescue them, but it was for all the world, which takes us back to the Abrahamic covenant where he said, all the world will be blessed through you. The new covenant was sealed through Jesus' death on the cross. As Jesus ate his last meal, Passover meal, with his disciples, he used this language. He said that this is the new covenant. My blood is the new covenant. My blood is the seal of that covenant. The writer of the book of Hebrews talks about this new covenant, and he says, it's a better covenant. It's a superior covenant. It's better than the ones that have gone before What the old covenant couldn't do because of man's inability to keep the laws, the new covenant does on his behalf. So what does all this have to do with you and I? Well, we are called, we are made to live in covenant relationship with God. We live under this new covenant. And let me explain how that works. Because... We are descendants of Adam and Eve. I talked about Noah and his kids, but we're actually descendants all the way back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve in the garden broke god 's command. They initial sin, original sin entered the world through their disobedience, and that is passed on to you and I all the way down and it'll be passed on to your grandkids and their kids and their kids and their kids as long as uh, people keep populating the earth Romans Chapter three verse 10 says, "There is no one righteous, not even one. There are no exceptions to that. We are all sinners." Romans 3:23 says, "We have all sinned and fall short of God's glory. We all fall short of His perfect standard. We were born that way, already falling short." Romans 6:23 says uh, that there's a penalty for that. It says, "The wages of sin is death." eternal death, God's judgment, we all deserve this. Even those online deserve this, not just us in the building. There's absolutely nothing we can do to change that. But Romans 6.23 also says, The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, there's a gift. There's eternal life. We deserve eternal death. Eternal life is the gift through Jesus. How is that made possible? Because of Jesus. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wages of sin is death. Christ died. He took our death penalty. What we cannot do for ourselves, God looked down on us and said, I know they can't do it themselves. I'm going to send Jesus to be that sacrifice for them. I'm going to create a new covenant that they can enter into. The question that you and I have to wrestle with an answer for our life. If we're going to live life as God intended in covenant relationship with him, we have to enter into that new covenant. He's done everything to set it up, all we have to do is say yes to enter into that covenant. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, some of you need to make that decision. Some of you have never personally accepted the price that Jesus paid to allow you to enter the new covenant. Some of you have never acknowledged and asked for that free gift. Friends, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, if you acknowledge that there's nothing you can do in yourself to save yourself, but you understand Jesus did that, you can call on him today and you can ask for that gift, acknowledging that you're trusting him as savior. You can do it by saying a very simple prayer, six simple words. I like to to help people with to make it really easy. If you're acknowledging, yep, I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for those sins and I know he rose again and I want to give him my life. You just say that, Jesus, I give you my life. It's that simple. You can say that simple prayer even where you're sitting right now and accept him as your Savior. It's not just words. It's a prayer of acknowledgement and surrender. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head and close your eyes right now. And if that's you today, if you've never done that, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity right now. No one looking around. Let's pray together. Be prayerful. Those of you that are already following Jesus, be prayerful right now. If that's you today and there's something that's inside of you going, that's you, that's you, you need to do this, you need to do this, just say that simple prayer with me. Jesus, I give you my life. It's that simple. And if you mean that, if you're surrendering your life to Jesus, then you are in covenant relationship with him in the new covenant. Jesus, I give you my life. It's that simple. If you just said that prayer, I want to know about it because I want to pray for you. Can you just lift up your hand and say, hey, I said that prayer. Pray for me. I see that hand. Anybody else? Any others? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Hey, and I would encourage you. At the end of our service, there'll be people up here that would love to hear that you said that prayer and would love to pray with you personally. But I'm going to pray for you now and then we're going to talk about one more thing. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for those who just raised their hands, who said, Jesus, I give you my life. And Lord, I pray that as they understand what that meant, Lord, that you will just ingrain that in them, that that would sink deep into their hearts. And Lord, you would help them know the, the next steps as they start their journey of following you in this new covenant. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we think about these covenants today and we think about how we're made, go back to the question, how do we live life as God intended? Well, remember, we're called to live in covenant. We were made to magnify him worship him with our lives. And we're made to multiply. So when we go forth from here, we need to share this great news with others so they too can understand how they can live life as God intended. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the covenants. And Lord, sometimes that's deep and hard for us to fully get our heads around uh, how they all worked and how they all played out. But Lord, We rejoice in the fact that you simplified it by making one final covenant that was for all of us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for those that that raised their hands today who, who said to Jesus, I give you my life. And Lord, I pray for them that you would give them courage to let us know about that. And I pray a blessing on all of us, Lord, as we go out from here, that we would live lives that magnify you and lives that multiply as we share Jesus with the world around us. In whose precious name we pray, amen.